Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another edition of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we tend to like to do that in a world of sports, of books, of comedy, of pastors, authors, all kinds of fun stuff like that, music. And today we're actually doing something a little different. We're doing it with a good friend of mine, and we're going to kind of head this direction a little bit more. Every every several podcasts will be more topical, and I'll bring a friend on that I know we can have some good conversation. And uh, today I've got my good friend Josh Stortz on here. Welcome, Josh. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be on, and uh, it's always fun to talk with friends, so I'm looking forward to today. There you go. So, Josh, go ahead and let's jump in. Uh, we're going to get to primarily what you do and your testimony, so let's start with testimony first, and then we'll talk about your new season of life here. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, for me, my testimony is definitely very defining. Uh, a lot of people probably who know me well assume that I grew up in church, uh, which is really not the case at all. I didn't even start attending church until I was probably seventh, eighth grade, somewhere in that ballpark. And for me, the Lord grabbed my heart when I was 16. So I went to church a little bit before, but it was the death of my cousin who was 16 too at the same time that really led me to him. And so I gave my life to Christ. But uh, I would say that's where my testimony kind of started. It is not the finishing product Mm. by any means. Because for me, I kind of lived a dual lifestyle for quite a few years from 16 till probably about 21, 22. I knew how to church and I knew how to do it well. And I knew how to play the other side of the fence too. And the problem is, the Lord does not let you have one side on one and the other on the other side of the fence. And so I would say it was in college. I made some just bad choices, got into kind of a party scene where, you know, I was kind of drinking, doing all the things that you would think a, uh, you know, 20 some year old college guy would do. And God grabbed me in that circumstance. And it was funny because I was going to a Christian college. So when I say I know how to play both sides of the fence, I did. I could give you a worldview. I could throw out huge terms, but it hit my head, but it didn't hit my heart. And then it was uh, one morning about 2.30, an RD just kind of grabbed me and he just shared the gospel with me and showed me what grace and mercy and love was. And it was in that that uh, I just kind of cling to him. And so that's where the Lord grabbed me. And it's been a slow development ever since then. But uh, he's good and he's gracious. And I'm just glad that uh, he opened my eyes and my heart to the true love of him. So what would you say over time and even maybe more current, but, you know, include back then wherever you want, what are like three spiritual disciplines or scenarios or things that have really helped you grow in your faith, would you say, over the years? Yeah, you know, I think that's a, it, it ebbs and flows, to be completely honest with you. For me, I think the the first one is just truly getting in my word and spending just quality time there, not a, a task that needs to be done. I've never really done the 
uh, let's get through the Bible in a year. I'm not that smart. And so for me to process, it just takes a lot of time. And so I would say scripture reading at different times, scripture memorization has been very helpful. I would say prayer. Uh, but for me, prayer is, uh, I do it a lot of different ways. Uh, I love to walk in the summertime and just pray. I pray in the car, which is so great now that, you know, there's Bluetooth. People don't think I'm crazy uh, talking in a car. Mm. So that, and then I would also say just accountability has been a huge piece. My largest chunks of growth have always come with a high level of accountability. And so I think if you have a brother or sister who is asking you daily how your walk is going, it really drives home a seriousness of what this is. And when you stumble, you don't have multiple days of stumble. And so for me, I think accountability has been a huge factor. Mm, That's a good word. So talk about what you're doing. So you're you're in a new season of life, you and Natalie. And and, uh, yeah, mention your family real quick. Give, Give the family details. Yeah, yeah. So I am a girl dad, and I have two beautiful little girls, Finley and Stella. Stella turns five, Finley six, and they are full of joy. They love people, and that includes Jeff um, and uh, his yes. daughter. They are uh, they're just full of joy. Have a lot of fun, and then my wife Natalie is just really a rock star. To be honest with you, there's. People always say, you know, like, oh, you out put under your coverage. And then there's like my wife and it's like, how you weren't even in the same city as her. That's how uh, awesome she is. Uh, She loves the Lord with all her heart. And that has drastically helped our marriage. Having a wife who uh, is so close to the Lord in those times of struggle, it just really helps. So my girls are awesome. Uh, But I mean, everybody, you probably asked that question, uh, but I actually think the reality is mine are. Sure. What I'm doing kind of currently is I do campus ministry and I do campus ministry at a small private school here in Ohio. And it is a true joy of mine to be able to take the gospel to unbelieving students. So our ministry is a little bit different because we are not necessarily trying to just get the already believers on campus. We're kind of doing the exact opposite. We go after the unbelieving student and we really want to build them up to be laborers in the lost world. And so our whole goal is to share the gospel uh, for the, the Lord to grab their heart and then to really disciple them into a further knowledge. And so it has been a true joy here and it obviously struggles with campus, just the different, the students are so different than they were 15 years ago. And you can see that if you read research or anything like that. And so I I look forward to kind of flushing some of that out with you today. So we're going to land a plane a little bit in this college, young adult kind of area and and sphere of life kind of, I guess, is that technically Gen Z? What has surprised you? So, I mean, you know, you you don't have all the answers. You don't have it all figured out. You're a year into this. But what yeah. what is something at this point in 2023 that you look back and thought, oh, this has been a little bit of a surprise about college-age folks as you've been investing in them for several, several months now? Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to use this, this little term. I stole this from somebody, couldn't give them credit to who. But I would say they've changed a bit. And I think the B is just brokenness. Um, there is more brokenness with Gen Z than I think maybe ever before. And I don't know if that's COVID and them losing a lot of friends, but they bring in a lot of brokenness and they bring in just so much kind of some baggage, which I think also then leads to the I, which is individualism. I think they are more individuals uh, than groups. So when you walk around campuses now, 
you see a lot more small pockets of people just by themselves. I remember when I was in school, it was like a herd of, of students moving wherever. Uh, but now you, you very much individuals. And then I think the T would be technology. I think technology has changed these students where especially coming out of COVID, they relied on technology for everything. There was no face-to-face contact. There was none of that. And so technology just kind of became who they are. And it's almost this third wheel to them. And so I think when when you put those things together, that's been kind of the biggest shock. Brokenness, individuals, and then technology. It isn't the typical student that you saw 15 years ago. They're very damaged. They're very much hurting But with that said, they're seeking more than ever, but they're not seeking in a way that I think we are used to. I think for, you know, maybe the last 50 years, we've been all about our orthodoxy. So I'm going to tell you about Jesus and I am going to give you X, Y, and Z, the, the bullet points. And for this generation, I think it's more hey, I want to hear your orthopraxy. I want to see how you're living out your life. I want to see when you say, hey, take care of the widows and orphans. Like, are you taking care of widows or orphans? Or, oh, you're standing up for life? Like, well, how are you standing up for life? And I think that has been one of the big things. There's no longer, let's throw a big rally and we're going to have 50 people come to Christ. It's more of, uh, we're going to do this on an individual level, and we're going to show you how we live out our faith because we're going to invite you in. And I think that's kind of one of the big areas that I think there's a lot of change in the last even 10, 15 years. So that individualism thing you're talking about, you know, we could say COVID, we could say technology. What all impacts that, do you think? I mean, I I guess I could see where that's true. I mean, I think we talk about that generation really wanting community, and maybe they found it falsely online or whatever else, but did COVID do damage? I mean, what what all is at play for this individualistic thing amongst that age group? Yeah, I think we'd be lying if we didn't say COVID had something to do. But I think, honestly, COVID just sped up the process. I think we were heading there, and then it, it just kind of got dropped in. I think for the, the biggest part is everybody is so afraid to be someone else, honestly. And so when you go on Facebook or Instagram, TikTok, you see all these things, everybody wants to put their own spin on it. And I think at the end of the day, we are so afraid to be like someone else. And they are are moving in this direction of, I think fear is is a big part of that movement. And I think, and this is just me speculating, I think they've never seen true community. And I think that's why you can see some really big things kind of popping off now uh, because it's community for the first time. I think their their parents didn't have good community and they uh, just went home and they did different things. And then it led to the, the kids not having, you know, when I grew up, my friends were kind of my parents' friends' kids. And now you don't really have that. And so I think that kind of kind of moved that direction which is kind of a, it's it's out there, but I kind of honestly think we're getting, we're reaping what we've sown for the last 20 years. So let's, let's uh, kind of stay in this area. I mentioned to you, there was this podcast I heard, I don't know, somewhat recently, and it was from the Lee University president. And he was talking about where Gen Z kind of is. And, and I'll say loosely, Gen Z, I always hate kind of overly pinning it down and people have to look at it, dates and say, well, do I fit there? Do I not fit there? But generically speaking, Gen Z. And he said, you look at Gen Z and he said, there's three things that have kind of happened within their world. 
He goes, COVID obviously just wiped them out, did a lot of damage, which it did to a lot of young people. I mean, even even the ones mm-hmm. beyond Gen Z. I forgot what the name of that group's called now. The younger crowd, my your daughter's, my daughter, that crowd would be. But so just, you know, COVID wiped out kind of more or less three years of their life. Secondly, he just said that there's been a lot of division. You've seen it in church world. You've seen it in politics. You've seen it race world, relationship-wise, sexually. I mean, you name it. There's a whole lot of division going on. And then a third thing he said that was very interesting was he said, you look at celebrity culture. He goes, there's been such a buy-in by the younger generation, Gen Z, to celebrity culture. And then whether it's been intended to on celebrities' part or not, and obviously the word celebrity here is pretty loose, but they've maybe promised them a lot. You know, whether it's ideology, whether it's stuff, it's fame, hey, I made it in 15 minutes, you can do it, whatever it would be. They've been promised stuff that they've been let down on. So he said, if you look at division, you look at COVID, and you look at these people that you look up to, you know, in some level as as um, role models. I hate that term, but if, if they're role models, they've been let down. He said, I would make an argument. This is Mark Walker, president of the university, saying that they have been abused. Now, at first glance, you hear that, you're like, okay, let's don't put that on the same level as whatever else when you hear the word abuse. But the more I sat on that, I thought, you know what? He might have something. If you were to take, you know, 15, 20 of your random college students from Springfield, Ohio, Southwest Ohio, Central Ohio, whatever, what would they say about that? Do you think they would say they've been abused? And how do you feel about that working with them, Josh? You know, I think that is a big word. And abuse, I don't know if they would use the term abuse. Just because I think there's so many bigger negative things with abuse. Let down, 100% would say they've been let down. Hurt, 100% would say hurt. I don't know if I would go as as far as abused. But I also think this is just kind of where we're at. And I think this is why you see, I'll throw a buzzword out, deconstruction moving at such a rapid rate. And I think the problem is with this generation more than anything, They've put their hope and trust in, and by the way, I say this generation, but really I, I should be more broad and say every generation. We put our hope and trust in something that will always hurt us and let us down if it's not at Christ. And I think at the end of the day, we are saying, you've let me down. And we see it in the church context of, oh, I'm deconstructing my faith. Well, you've never put your faith truly in Jesus. I'm going to let you down. Like I tell my students this all the time. If your hope and trust is in Josh, I will let you down. I am going to mess up. I'm I'm sinful. That's why we always need to be pushing people to the, the, the most beautiful picture of somebody who will never let them down, and that's Christ. But I think these students, these three kind of, you know, plugs, the division of race, politics, sex, church, well, they're they're hurt because the church hasn't done the appropriate thing in some of these instances. We've said, well, let us see how this plays out a little bit. Rather than being on the front lines, we've kind of taken a step back. So we've heard them because they're, they're looking at the church saying, how are you going to respond to this? And then they look at, you know, let's let's take COVID. You had the polar, you had churches at one end or the other. It was like you couldn't be in the middle, like, oh, do we need to wear a mask or not? And like all of a sudden they see churches fighting and they see people leaving the church. So now they're they're hurt and they see that pain. And then the celebrity culture, I think ultimately that they're trying to make somebody Jesus. Like, I want to be like you. I want to look beautiful. I want to have the things you have. Or, you know, maybe the, the letdown in that is a little bit harder because I think 
really nobody's saying they want to do anything. They're just, they're assuming that person said. But I think at the end of the day, we have this gigantic problem because nobody has trust in Jesus. They have trust in this world and they have trust in our system. And you can't trust something that's going to fail you. And so I think in a way he hit the, the, the spots correctly, but I'm not sure he hit it correctly by saying abuse because I, I think it's more of a letdown and sometimes letdowns hurt. And that doesn't mean that letdowns don't take a really long time to recover or to get through. But I don't know if I could I could stand and say abuse is the right word there. Now, are there individual cases that abuse has happened? 100%. But I think I don't I don't think I could do a broad stroke with a paintbrush saying this is all abuse. I think there's more details in there that I would say fall into that abuse category. So staying with terminology here, obviously Asbury University has happened, mm-hmm. you know, recently. Trying to be timely and not get too caught up in the timeline here based on keeping the timing of this podcast coming out relevant. But, you know, whatever term people want to use, whether that's revival or not, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. And I actually listened to a podcast on the way up here with Ted Cluck, Barnabas Piper, and a guy named Ronnie Martin. So they all either serve in pastoral world, college, university world, whatever. And one of the things they said that was really interesting to me was they said, why do we get too caught up in trying to be anything more than like, okay, this was something pretty cool. This certainly, if nothing else, sets the stage for a revival. Time will tell if this or anything that happened in any other place like it was revival. But clearly God's done something. Let's just rejoice in that. They started using the word discern, and they said, we're miles away from that place. Do we need to discern anything It's not even within our scope of ministry or responsibility or who we do life with? So what's what do you kind of think— you know, and Josh, again, I don't want to put you on the spot too much as an expert, but what are some things you're thinking, takeaways when you look at Asbury? Have we overthought about it? Have we been too critical of it? Have we not been critical enough? What do you think? And, and time will only tell more, but what are what are thoughts about Asbury and what God's doing around college campuses around the U.S.? Yeah, so I think the easy answer, but I love that you said I'm no expert because I'm not. The short answer would be yes to all of your questions. I think that it's a weird where we haven't been critical enough. We've been too critical in some areas. So I think the answer is kind of yes there. When I think of revival, I think of it in kind of a three-prong approach. Are we united in prayer? Are we moving for the gospel? And then are we saturating a certain area with that, with prayer and the gospel? Are we saturating? And I think that's where we see the spirit move. With that said, I think it, it it's always going to have a, a quick approach on a college campus. And that's just because college students have more time. They have more energy. They have uh, ways to express that a lot more. With that said, I think it's just the, the, the trickle starts there. But I think this is where we are at probably just a really sweet time where if we could actually unite the older generation and the younger generation. So you have this uh, generation and I kind of just think of like, you know, I was in uh, the Beatitudes today. Uh, Blessed are those who are poor, poor in spirit. They, their need for them, for him. And I think for me, when I think of just the revival movement, when I think of those kids at the college campus, they just, they're poor. Like they actually are just expressing themselves the way they are. They they have nothing to rely on at this point. And it's not because 
of anything other than time. They're in school. They don't have maybe all the knowledge that somebody has. They don't have the finances that other people have. And so I think you're seeing this movement come because they're poor in spirit. And I think that's really sweet. And I don't say that as a as a downgrade to them by any stretch of the means. I actually think it's why you always see, see movements come out of young people is because their reliance is so much more on Christ than maybe somebody who has been in this for 50 years and they have a job, a family, all of these different things. It's hard for them to just give up wholeheartedly to the Lord. And I think when you're younger, it's so much easier. And that's why like for, for us in our ministry here, we do everything we can to keep that culture relevant and, and, and beautiful. So I don't want them to learn, hey, mask your sin. Don't tell me it because I don't want to hear it. I want to hear it because I want you to stay hungry for the Lord. And when you actually are that way, I think you get just an amazing revival, and I'll use that term, moving in your heart daily. And I don't. I think we maybe have tried to throw revival around because it's a buzzword right now. And very much, I think people want to make sure you're stepping on this this bandwagon of, I don't want to be left behind. And I think you see that kind of playing out at other places where I think Asbury did a phenomenal job of just kind of saying, hey, we want God to be moving in this. So I love that they turned down news outlets. They didn't put out a lot. And they're like, we're just going to let the spirit move. And I think that's a really big aspect to revival is actually letting the spirit move and not letting our own human abilities step in and say, hey, if I put this post out on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, we're going to look this way and then we're going to we're going to fake this facade of uh, revival, but really letting it happen naturally. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's definitely kind of where I, I sit and land on it. Well, you ended kind of there at a place that I think is very important to talk about, too. You know, maybe this is being overly critical or whatever, but I, I do think one of the things that seemed very pure, and I did go to Asbury for a day, so I spent some time there and kind of kept my eye on it or whatever. And, and people I, I look to and really respect who I know had visits down there, they seem to have very similar flavors that, you know, it was not overly, like you said, internally pushed out. There wasn't heavy promotion. You know, the one student body president, Allison, she did get interviewed a couple times by like, at least I saw two with Tucker Carlson and Glenn Beck, but you know, that was them pushing, pursuing her. I'm sure she doesn't have a phone mm-hmm. number somewhere to say, call Fox news and get a hold of Tucker Carlson or call Glenn Beck, wherever he is yeah. and get the love. But it, it did feel like there were other places, quite a few that we're quick to want to act like something was going on there and it was very internally driven and the word revival mm-hmm. was getting thrown out a lot. And like I said, I don't want to be overly critical about what's going on. I think there's been so much good. And I loved what uh, the happy rant guys were saying that like, wow, it looks like God's up to something here. Let's just be grateful that this is potentially a start of what we've been praying for. If we want revival, we want God to move a stirring and awakening, uh, something new, something fresh, whatever phrase you want to use, this could be something heading that direction. The, mm-hmm. the parts where you saw places kind of internally start promoting it and use the word revival, and I think hope they would latch on to Asbury, at least for me, that kind of turned me off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think one of the aspects of revival that I don't think many people want to talk about is humility. Like, are we really going to humble ourselves before the Lord to let him do what he wants to do? And, you know, I just think of just like, you know, Noah preached for 120 years. Hey, I'm building this big boat. 
come. And no, there was no fruit. No one got on the boat with him. And I think uh, he was humble enough to keep doing it. And I think we are at a time that we want to see all fruit all the time. And I think that's what makes like the thing in Asbury, there's tons of fruit. But does that mean that God isn't moving in a place that there isn't any fruit currently? But are we uniting in prayer? Are we saturating a place with the gospel? Are we uh, sharing the good news? And I think if that is, I think there could be hundreds of revivals going on every single day. But I think we're always, always wanting the fruit part. And it's really hard for me to not just say, hey, there's faithful ministries happening today that have not had a single person come to Christ in the last year. And that person is no less faithful than what's going on there. And I think ultimately for revival to work, I think we just need to be humble about it. We need to be hungry and we need to be asking the Lord for more every single day. And I think that was one of the the cool things that we can see is just the hunger for wanting, especially in that, those kids, they wanted they wanted more worship. They wanted more preaching. They wanted all this. They wanted more, more, more. And I think at the end of the day, if we're hungry, we're hungry, we're humble, and then it's going to lead to repentance eventually. And I think those are the sweet things that we just need to to keep in mind when we're, we're flowing everything through the, the the filter of the gospel is, are we hungry? Are we humble? And are we repentant when we're not? And uh, move from there. Well, I think to sum it up, I think it's the gypsy Smith, who was a, a evangelist, I mean, a quote he had about someone asking him once, how does revival start? He said, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of your floor, draw a chalk mark all around yourself and ask God to start the revival inside that chalk mark. When he has answered your prayer, then revival will be on. And I think we sometimes lose the individual part of that, where I think it becomes a bunch of individuals together that God starts mm-hmm. doing something with versus just some mass movement of whoever, whatever, and God shows, and again, we can't, you know, we can, we can, it's like anything else in life. We can facilitate it. We can give room for God to move, God to show up and do whatever. And we want to constantly be doing that. You know, you talk about your time daily in the word, you spend time to be attitudes today, you know, prayer time, what that looks like in your car, taking a nice spring weather, fall weather, walk, whatever is creating a space for God to show up, but we can't make it happen. I mean, God's going to do it when he does it. So you know, with your territory where you do life at in Springfield, I mean, are you sensing anything? What What's kind of been the response from college students you've been around over what they've seen the last month or so? You know, so I'm on a, a very secular campus. And honestly, I bet if you were to walk around and ask 100 students about Asbury or Revival, I bet you would only get five or six that would even have a clue what it is. And, you know, I think for for me, when I when I was hearing you talk, Jeff, you said something about needing others. And uh, I have this quote and it's uh, Jackson. Oh, I forget his last name starts with an S. And it says humility is God's revelation of our need for one another. And I really think if we're, we're truthful, we need one another way more now than we ever did. And I think if the students here actually could figure out what Asbury, what, what was going on there, I think they would see it was, it was the students clinging to one another. They were praying for each other. They were loving on one another. They were, they were sacrificing for one another. And I think that carries weight wherever you go. I just think different pockets, it means more. And I think within the Christian community, that's huge. And I don't know how many 
text messages, calls. Um, I got that said, what are you going to do to get revival on your campus? And I'm like, that's a great question. I don't know what God's going to do to get revival on my campus. And I think I, I tell people, we just need to keep praying about it. And then when there's an avenue, we need to go. And with that said, I don't see, I see small a, a small bubbling up of just awesomeness. I don't know. That's not really a good, great word, but it's the word I'm going to use of uh, converts coming to Christ and saying, man, I need community. And so I need to get in church and I need to see this. And I think it starts small and, and it will bubble out. But overall, I think if you were to go poll most of college campuses in the United States, it would be a very slim portion that would have any idea what you were talking about. And I think that that goes back to the Lord says he hasn't softened their hearts yet. Because I think if, if he had softened those hearts, those people would be coming out of the woodwork saying, I need to be a part of that. And you're seeing pockets of it open up. But I think it's just the Lord's timing and softening hearts. Yeah. And I think there's an unpredictable nature to this. I mean, if I'm God, I'm going to start a revival. I mean, you would have thought on paper, like, let's go to Liberty. Let's go to Indiana Wesleyan. Let's go to, you know, wherever. I don't think Asbury, where it's located, Kentucky and Wilmore, Kentucky, and obviously the Methodist Church has had their struggles I don't think most people are saying like, yeah, that's where, yeah, no, no doubt it was going to happen at Asbury. No way. I mean, I think God says, I'll show up when I show up. I'll show up where I want to show up. I'll show up how I show up. You know, one of the things I've been doing lately to kind of stoke the fires of my own heart a little bit more is I've been spending a little bit more time reading about hell and not in a hellfire brimstone kind of way, but more like, okay, this is a reality. People are going to hell. You know, I've thought a lot about over the years. I mean, is there any way we could argue anything different than the majority of people go to hell? You hear that statement, and it sounds like it's crazy, mm-hmm. but anything and everything you read about in Scripture, you know, the road to life is narrow, narrow gate, few will find it. The road to destruction is wide, and many will. I mean, that to me, looks like there's no way to argue around it. So, like yesterday, I spent some time, and I looked up online an Alistair Begg sermon on hell. Craig Rochelle, interestingly enough, had like three. Louis Giglio, I think, had a couple. Billy Graham, R.C. Sproul, Ray Comfort. Um, like I said, Rochelle had three. Tony Evans had a, about three, I think, that I could find. Louis Giglio had a couple. Dave Stone, who I like the Southeast folks down there. Kerry Newhoff had mm-hmm. one. Um, Steve Gaines down in Memphis, which is a pretty big Baptist church down there. Max Lucado had a couple little sound bites. Um, about 10 minutes, more like questions with Max type of thing. But part of me thinks... Again, this is just where I'm laying in a plane for me. I need to really spend some time thinking more about heaven and hell and probably more about mm-hmm. he- hell than I do heaven. Any thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah, no, 100%. And I think I love how you said it, it would have been liberty, it would have been that. And I think throughout scripture, we kind of see that picture of God doesn't do the conventional way. Like, I just think of uh, the rich young ruler. Like, that would have been the guy that you would have, you would probably would have been like, well, okay, you don't have to sell all your possessions, but, you know, like, let's do this. And and Jesus turned him away. And, you know, it was one of the first people, it might be the only person, don't quote me on that one, but that Jesus shared and he left weeping. Usually people go to Jesus weeping and leave happy. The only person that left weeping was a person that everyone would have thought would have been the the all-star pick for Jesus. And Jesus sent him away weeping. And I think... That is part of our problem is we always want to pick the person that looks best 
Uh, so maybe it is those big schools that look best. Uh, but God wants to use the heart of the person who he can actually use. And I think that's why you see the small school with a, a body of people that nobody really knows, and he's doing a big movement. And so I, I, I want, I really think that's a, a big point. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, if we do not have the perspective of hell in our mind, we lose the grasp of why we need the gospel. Like, I love that you're, you're diving in there because for me, like, I just think of like, it makes heaven look so much sweeter when you know what hell is. And it also makes, do I really love this person? Like, I, I just think of the people that like, it, you don't want to share the gospel to, like, you, you just want to send them to hell. Like, and I, that's a, that's a struggle. Like, not that that should, we should be uh, doing things out of fear, but I think it, it should be the reality of you understand the need for people who need to hear the gospel because you don't want to send them there. And I think, you know, I thought uh, this missionary from China came and I, I got to talk to him for a bit and they were like, they went into a rural village and the, the guy was asking, hey, how long have you known this? Like two weeks, two months? And the guy's like, I've known it for like 20 years. And he's like, it took you that long to come and tell me this? Like, I think if we really had the idea of what hell is, there would be an urgency in every step we have, whether that's you're a minister, whether that is your coworkers at work, there would be an urgency to say, I don't know when the King of Kings is coming back, but I cannot have it on my conscience to not tell you about the gloriousness of Christ because I know the pain and the suffering of what hell will be. Oh, it's interesting. I was reading, I don't know, it was either Groeschel or maybe Randy Alcorn. Somebody had said something like, and I've heard something like this before, that for a non-believer their worst day on earth will be better than what their experience is going to be in hell. The, the follower of Jesus, the best they can ever experience on earth won't be anything nearly as good as what they're going to experience in heaven. And, and that, you know, those type of thoughts, the type of thoughts of like, you know, I was reading uh, something that was talking about torture and torment in hell versus annihilation and somebody was trying to make the case for annihilation but just saying you know somebody can be wiped out in seconds their life is over which is what a lot of people are going to believe and how does that justify and and deal with god's holiness so annihilation it was making a great argument for which i liked that annihilation would not be a part of hell because then you're it may be like anything on earth it's just over done okay i don't believe in afterlife it's over and i think we really need a to more fully grasp and understand as followers of jesus what heaven's really going to be like as much as we possibly can. And we also need to understand how, again, forget hellfire brimstone, no presence of God. I remember the later mm -hmm. days in my young lifetime, like KR, when I was you know, getting acquainted with you a little bit, knowing your sister, um, that I would start talking more about that. I would say more like, let's forget all the things we think hell is about. Let's just talk about no presence of God. Like we can't, we, we can't go anywhere on earth and fathom that because everywhere you go, there's God's presence. You know, I'm driving Saturday to meet some guys down at Yellow Springs Brewery and, you know, just driving down there. I mean, you can't go anywhere and there's not a presence of God. You know, the bike path, the driving by Young's, you know, getting it's a beautiful day out, whatever the case may be, anywhere, everywhere you go, there's something beautiful, good, redemptive that we see. And the fact that that would be nowhere, it would not be present at all. Like that's hell, period. Mm -hmm. And I think we need kind of this re- Restoked, refired up, some kind of something that gives us a greater vision for both heaven and hell. Have you heard many sermons in your lifetime about hell without looking them up? Never. Yeah. 
No. And we, we it doesn't get, necessarily fill the uh, the seats talking about yeah. hell. Well, and it's funny. We get fired up. When I was at Asbury that day, I saw the the two guys there speaking who were kind of your hellfire and brimstone guys, and nobody wants that. Nobody seeks that out. You kind of roll your eyes at those guys, shake your head. People mess with them, whatever. But to really understand hell and, and to some degree of fullness as much as we possibly can – we need to understand that because I, I think that plays a part in revival because things like that will set our hearts on fire for, man, people need Jesus, and this is not some game we're playing. Absolutely. You know, I, I honestly think there are certain areas that are almost no-fly zones. You know, like I remember taking a class, and the, the guy was – he said, if you want to empty your church quicker than anything, talk about Revelation. He's like, it's it's almost impossible to do that justice. But I think what, what that creates is when people hear that is, I don't ever want to talk about that in any circumstance because it's going to push somebody away or somebody's going to say, I'm a little crazy on this area or too charismatic on this area. And I think at the end of the day, like I, he mentions hell a lot in the New Testament. And I think we're doing an injustice to people by not telling them the facts of it. And like you said, I cannot get over the fact that all hell really is, is his hand off of people. Like we've never, even in your worst day, God's hand is still on us here. Mm-hmm. And to be in complete utter darkness with his hand off is so, so scary. Uh, and so out there, it, it just, I can't wrap my hands or my mind around it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When I looked up sermons. I was kind of, it was a little disappointing. Some names or some churches I couldn't find a sermon about hell. There was others I could. It was funny when I typed in Craig Rochelle, there were three that came up. And the mo- I think it was the most recent one he preached. I listened to one of them. And he said, okay, when you go to church, there's three things they say you can't talk about. Money, politics, and hell. The good news today is we're not talking about money and politics. The bad news today is we're talking about hell. So buckle up. And I really appreciate it. I, you know, I wasn't sure... You know, where he would be, I was really impressed with what I heard. And that was only one of three sermons. He's got two other ones out there that Craig Rochelle has taught about with hell. And he was very honest about, you know, kind of putting his best foot forward. This is a difficult topic. I don't know everything. Kerry Newhoff, I only caught part of his, but he alluded to the same thing. Like, okay, I'm not going to be an expert on this. We're going to talk about this as much as we can. Where it's crystal clear, let's be crystal clear. Where it's not, let's don't act like we got answers to places where we don't have them. Anyway, well, Josh, what uh, this is kind of a closing thought from you. We're going to kind of wrap it up here. But you know, as we think about college young adult people, we're talking more topically today. We're talking revivals. We got into hell and heaven a little bit. What would be kind of a lasting go-to word you would love to throw out there for people to be encouraged by or challenged by as we close it up? Yeah. I, you know, I think what I want people to know is don't give up on this generation. This is the generation that is going to propel us so far and i would just say change is coming and it's exciting Mm. i think we are coming out of a really bad storm but the next morning the sun is coming up and the lord is doing something with this generation that i think is going to have a ripple effect for generations and i i get to i'm lucky enough to get to see it on a regular basis of uh, hearts changing and not only hearts changing, but there is a drive and a desire with this generation like none other. Mm. Because they're also a generation, they have more resources at their fingertips 
than any generation before. Wow. And so I love that you're looking up sermons on hell. The cool thing is these students, they put their life to Christ and they have a question. They, they hop on the internet and they yep. can find 15 different sermons about this and they, they, they can start rounding their beliefs out. And so the sun will rise again tomorrow and the Lord is good. And I am super excited to see how the Lord uses this generation to push the gospel to places that it's never been. And I'm just excited to see when they learn the love of Christ, the love that they give back is so much deeper than I've ever seen. And it's just super exciting to see. Amen. So Josh, if people wanted to find out more about you, what would be the best way for someone who heard something that pricked their heart and they wanted to connect with you? How would they do that? Yeah, uh, I would say I am really not tech savvy at all. You can go to our website, witco.org, witco.org, and uh, you can contact me through there. And that would probably be the easiest, best way to do it. There you go. All right. We will be have Josh back again because we're going to get a little bit more topical every now and then with our podcast. And Josh is going to be one of our regulars. So, Joshy Stortz, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.